Well, good morning. Uh, And this morning, we are continuing a new series we started last week that we're calling Soils. We're looking at the parable of the sower found in several of the Gospels, but we're looking at at this parable in the Gospel of Matthew and looking at the four different kinds of soils that Jesus talks about and asking some questions about what that might mean for us in our lives. And today, as we get started, I want to think about this idea of disconnect, disconnection. We all have seasons in our lives or areas of our lives that we can sense this disconnect. Last Wednesday, Pastor Amanda was talking to our senior high students and and, and communicated this truth that we are created, we are wired for connection. We are meant to be connected. And yet we look around and we look in our own lives and we feel this disconnection. And sometimes this disconnection, being on different pages, can, uh, can make us laugh. You might have heard the story uh, of the dad who was sitting at home uh, and his second grade son came into the living room and just kind of nonchalantly, matter-of-factly walked up to his dad, second grader, and said, Dad, what's sex? The dad's kind of caught him off guard. He wasn't prepared. He's looking around to see if there's like hidden cameras. And then he's realizing, okay, my wife is gone, so this all falls on me. He wasn't ready for this conversation. He thought he had a few more years, but he kind of took some deep breaths, composed himself, and he sat his son down, and he gave him the talk. And by the end of the talk, the son's eyes were kind of like this wide, and he just kind of stood up from the couch and started walking out of the living room. And the dad stopped him and said, wait, 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 what, what made you ask that question? And the son stopped and reached to his pocket and pulled out this paper from school, this form he had to fill out. And on the form it said, sex, M or F? <laughs> Maybe the dad could have asked a few more questions at the beginning of that conversation to find the disconnect from what the son was actually asking and what the dad thought he was asking. And sometimes disconnection can lead to some funny stories or from some funny memories. But more often than not, the disconnection we feel leads us and leaves us feeling isolated and alone and distant. And think about your own life, the areas that you feel some disconnect. Maybe you look at our phones and this technology we have, the social media these platforms that could serve to draw us together and connect us, and yet oftentimes as we're scrolling, we feel more and more isolated and disconnected. Maybe you look around and survey the political climate that we find ourselves in, and and there are friends or family that that look at life and, and, and think about things differently than you, and you feel this disconnection. Maybe it's made family gatherings awkward or certain conversations hard, and you just, you feel this disconnect. Maybe you think about relationships or a relationship that you, you wish were like this and yet you find it over here. Or maybe a relationship that used to be this way and now it's over here and there's just this disconnection. These dreams or, or aspirations of what you hope and th- then someone else in that relationship has different dreams and different aspirations and it leaves you feeling alone and disconnected. We all feel this in certain areas, in certain times, in certain seasons of our lives. And maybe another way to think about it, another word besides disconnect, is this idea of shallowness. 
In many ways, in many times, in many seasons, we live in a shallow world and we understand shallow. We feel that shallowness at times. See, the soil we're looking at today is the rocky soil. And in just a few moments, we'll read about that. But what we learn is that this rocky soil, the issue is that it's shallow. And when we think about shallowness, and we think, okay, well, if shallow is not the answer, then this must be the answer. Oftentimes, we think the opposite of shallow is deep, right? And that makes sense. You've got the shallow end of the pool, and you've got the deep end of the pool. But I think what this parable has to teach us, and really more broadly, what the life of Jesus has to teach us, is that the opposite of shallow is not deep. But what is it? Again, we're going to be looking at this parable in the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 13. And as we jump into it, really quickly, uh, for Matthew, as Matthew writes this Gospel, all of the writers of Scripture, they have this big idea or this big theme as they write. And for Matthew, this theme is going to sound so obvious, but for Matthew, the major theme of his book is that Jesus is the Messiah. And I know for a Gospel, you would think, well, well, duh, But for Matthew, that changes the way that he writes and the stories he tells and the way that he tells it. And for Matthew, it's not just that Jesus is the Messiah, but the other thing that that Matthew includes is then how do people respond to that? If Jesus is the Messiah, then what do we do with that truth? And so here in Matthew chapter 13, we have this parable. Again, parables are, are these stories these illustrations, maybe these proverbs that aim to teach us something. A lot of times these stories uh, look and sound like reality even though they're not necessarily reality. But the thing about parables is they don't always answer the question right away. Parables aren't always just black and white, but a lot of times there's some questions and some gray in these stories. And really what parables do is they invite the listeners, the readers, to wrestle and reflect with these stories and to ask themselves, maybe to enter into these stories, to see themselves in the midst of this story. And so we're going to look at this parable. Again, it's Matthew chapter 13. And because we're spending four weeks in the same scripture passage, I'm going to jump around a little bit and just read the verses today that talk about this rocky soil. So we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 1. This is what we read. It says, The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Jumping ahead of verse, Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. After he tells this parable, the disciples are asking him, why do you always talk in parable? Why do you always tell stories in parable? And Jesus goes on to talk about that, and then he comes back and explains this parable in a little bit more. And Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 says this, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
We have this, this story, this parable here, and this farmer is scattering seed, and some of it falls on the rocky soil, which in those times, in those parts of the world, most of the soil was rocky, and so people, especially the farmers and those who worked the land, would have understood this kind of soil. And because it was shallow, these plants sprung up very quickly, but because they didn't have roots, when the sun would come, as Jesus explains, when trouble or persecution come. In our context, what would that look like? Trouble, busy schedules, trouble and other commitments, trouble and other priorities, trouble and they quickly fall away. As I was preparing for this this morning, I was thinking back to the first time that we planned a mission trip, a peak mission trip to Panama with our students. And we were figuring out where we were going to stay. And, and we ended up staying in a hotel, but it made me remember some of the places that I stayed on mission trips when I was going up, growing up. When I was in high school, we went to Pasigula, Mississippi. And we got there, uh, and there was just this huge gym. And for all of the guys, there were several churches, there were several hundred people there. On the gym floor was tape that made this grid pattern. And each uh, rectangle was three feet by eight feet. And that's where we put our bags, our sleeping bags, and our pillow. And for the entire week, that's where we stayed on, on this gym floor in this big grid pattern with 300 other people. But that wasn't probably the weirdest or worst sleeping experience I've had on a mission trip. In college, I went to Mexico on a mission trip. And we were working at this school all week. And where we stayed, the guys stayed, was in one of the rooms of the school. It was just a cement room that hadn't been finished. So it had holes for windows and doors, but there were no windows and doors there, so it was wide open. And the middle of, of the first night, as I'm sleeping, all of a sudden I hear this. And I thought, that doesn't sound right. I don't really know where I am, and I don't know my surroundings. And so I nudged my friend, and I, Austin, do you hear that? So I walked over, and I flipped on the light. Brace yourself. I see some people covering their heads. You would have thought there was a cockroach convention happening there. There were so many cockroaches in that room, and they all just scattered. And I don't think we slept the rest of the week. But I've been on a lot of mission trips, and I've been on a lot of retreats, and a lot of camps, and as an adult, a lot of conferences. And I resonate with this, because I go to those things, and I come back, and I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take on the world and conquer whatever it is. I've got this excitement and this fervor. And then Monday happens. And it seems like this excitement and this fervor and this, this anticipation begins to come down. And so what Jesus is talking about here, I resonate in that way. I think it might help us to understand this parable a little bit more, to look at the context of what's happening in the book of Matthew around this. See, Matthew 13 is this string of parables. It starts with the parable of the sower, but then there's about four or five other parables that we get in Matthew chapter 13. And what these parables are doing is Matthew 13 is actually responding to the stories that we read about in Matthew chapter 11 and 12. In Matthew 11 and 12, we have all of these stories. Remember back to Matthew's main theme and the questions being asked. We have all of these stories about how people are responding to this news of Jesus as the Messiah. And it shouldn't surprise us that these responses are mixed. 
Some people respond very positively to this news, accepting the word and accepting it and coming to faith. Other people are responding a little more neutrally. And maybe not people we would expect, people like John the Baptist and even Jesus' family. Maybe wrestling with, is this really the Messiah? This isn't really what we expected. This isn't who we expected the Messiah to be. This is, this is Jesus. This is our Jesus. And then you have some in these chapters who are responding to this news rather negatively. And in chapters 11 and 12, this group is the Pharisees. Now, earlier this week, I was talking with Pastor John, and we were talking through some of these things, and we started talking about Pharisees. And I think, I think sometimes uh, we have conditioned ourselves, and, and, and Pharisees get a bad rap. I think growing up, if you grew up in church, when you, when you hear the word Pharisees, maybe this is the sound that you hear playing once you see Pharisees. Maybe it sounds a little bit like this in your head. Right? Any Star Wars fans out there, you hear Pharisees and you think, all right, here comes the bad guy, here comes Darth Vader, and you prep yourself and you hear this sound playing in the back of your head. And in some ways, that critique of Pharisees is appropriate and earned, especially when we see groups of Pharisees that are pushing people away and excluding people. But other times, that's not necessarily a fair critique of Pharisees. In fact, Earlier in Matthew, Matthew 5, Jesus says that our, faith, our righteousness needs to exceed that of Pharisees, recognizing that Pharisees have a sense of righteousness. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, we see Nicodemus, a Pharisee who comes to Jesus with his curiosity and this openness to be born again. And so we can't just generalize this entire group of Pharisees every time we hear about them. But in these chapters we see this group of Pharisees who are struggling to reconcile what they believe to be true about God and what they're seeing in Jesus. And there's a story in, in Mar- or Matthew chapter 12 that I want to look at really quickly because I think it can help us as we rec- wrestle with this shallow soil. Because that's our big question is what is the response? And if, sh- if shallow is not the answer, what is the answer? And in Matthew chapter 12, uh, at the very beginning, we have the story of Jesus and his disciples and some Pharisees. And it says that Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields, and the disciples are picking grains and eating them. And they're doing this on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees say, wait a minute, I thought we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus has a conversation. In essence, what he's asking them is, were you created for the Sabbath, or was the Sabbath created for you? And then they go on in verse 9, and we can read this. Going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they, the Pharisees, asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. See, we have this story, and in this story, Jesus is demonstrating something so profound and something so fundamental to this gospel, to the gospel of Jesus, to God's kingdom. 
And yet, in their zeal, this group of Pharisees is missing the essence of what God is up to. They're missing the essence of what God, or who God is at God's core. And that is relational. And Jesus demonstrates to do good and to move towards people. And I think this story illuminates why deep isn't necessarily the answer to a shallow faith. Where shallow can be this mask that we wear when it's convenient or it works for us, but because it has no roots, it can be easy to fall away. In that same way, deep can be just another mask we wear that postures itself as good and right when it doesn't actually move us into closer proximity to those around us. Deep faith can have all the answers, all of the truth, all of the knowledge, all of the insight. But if it lacks love that moves us towards people, it's dead. And I think all of this can lead us to the big idea that we're getting to today. That the opposite of shallow faith is not necessarily deep faith, but relational faith. That where shallow soil leaves us, or where rocky soil leaves us shallow, good soil can lead us into relationship. And those relationships are our roots. Because the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, God's kingdom, will always move us into more intimate relationship with God and the people around us. Rocky soil leaves us shallow, but good soil leads us into relationship. So where does that leave us today? Because here's my guess. Most of you sitting in here and those of you listening online, my guess is most of us would say that we value people that we value relationships, right? We're not going to sit here and say, oh, we don't, we don't like people. We don't care about people. But can I confess as a pastor that many times and in some areas it's easier for me to preach about moving into relationship. It's easier for me to preach about valuing people than it is to live it. Yeah, some, some people are easy, some people it takes no effort at all. But other people are difficult. Other people are hard. And please hear me, and as a side note, what I'm saying here today is not that you have to say yes to everything and everyone and that we don't have any boundaries. That's not at all what I'm saying. But there's times, there are times in my life where I wish my faith didn't require me to love that person. where I could just segment things out and I could separate things and I could put this person and these people over here and then I could put this person and these people over here. Oh, life would be so much easier. But when I hear that, I have the words of Jesus in the back of my head from Matthew chapter 5 that tells me to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I'm reminded that we are created to live with one another. We are created for this connection and this community. And somehow, 
Somehow I believe that if God created us for that, then God can help us get there. God can bring about that kind of community. See, if we affirm that God at God's core is relational love, this this love that draws us towards people, then our lives should be arranged and ordered in that way. Our lives should mirror what we believe to be true about God. And hear me on this because this is important. That this doesn't mean that we say, okay, okay, that was good. I'm, okay, I'm going to do that this week. So this week I'm going to try a lot harder to be a better person. I'm, I'm going to try a lot harder at these relationships. This week I'm really going to try to be kind. Oh, this week I'm going to really try to be nice. This week I'm going to really try to be patient. This life isn't about just trying harder. It's not some conscious decision we make. But this life is about being formed by God's spirit. This formation that moves us towards people. This is a life of surrender and submission and sacrifice that is constantly leading us towards people. This is formation. This is discipleship. Sometimes we don't like this this. But the truth is that discipleship costs us. Discipleship costs us. It will cost us to allow God's spirit to reform and rework some of the ways that we think and see and talk and interact with people. It's what we talked about a few weeks ago with this sacrificial love. A love that requires something of us. But as we understand this sacrificial love, as we allow God's spirit to lead us into this sacrificial love, we can be the people both individually and collectively that God designed us to be. Because we need each other. We need each other and there's no escaping that. Where rocky soil leaves us shallow, good soil leads us into relationship. As I was thinking about today and getting ready, I was reminded of a story of a pastor named Brian. And he tells this story that, that there was one day, it was in the Christmas season. Uh, side note, there are 14 weeks left till Christmas, so it's coming. But it was in the midst of the Christmas season, and both of his kids were at work and, or at school. He was off work that day. His wife had other things to do, so he decided, you know what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to enjoy some alone time. I'm going to go to the mall and I'm just going to walk and I'm going to look at the lights and the decorations and I'm going to listen to Christmas music uh, and I'm just going to enjoy some alone time. We all need some alone time every now and then, right? And so he's going and on his way he decides he's going to really treat himself and so he goes through Starbucks and he gets one of their seasonal drinks that's usually more parts syrup and sugar than it is coffee, but that's okay. He gets the venti, the big one because he's really going to live it up today. And he gets to the mall, and as he's walking into the mall, he realizes that this coffee has done its job, and so he needs to make a quick pit stop. And as he's walking into the bathroom, he sees this elderly woman standing outside looking a little concerned. And he doesn't think much of it, and he goes in, and as he's coming out, he notices that that lady is still standing there. 
And so he goes up to her and he says, ma'am, is everything okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Do you need me? Do you need help with something? And she says, my husband, Frank, went into the bathroom a while ago and he hasn't come out yet. Could you just go check on him and make sure that everything's okay? And Brian says, oh, sure I can, of course. And he goes in there and he goes and he sees at the very last stall, the door is closed. So he walks over and he says, hey, Frank, my name's Brian, your wife sent me and I just want to check and see if everything's okay. And through the door, he heard this little whimper. And after several minutes, Frank ended up opening the door and he goes in and he sees that that Frank is clearly confused and a little lost and embarrassed. He's had an accident and he's all covered in, in mess and the stall is covered in mess. And he just sees in this man's eyes that he's just lost and confused and sad and embarrassed. And he thinks to myself, he thinks to himself, this was supposed to be a me day. I was supposed to just be getting ready for Christmas, doing a little shopping, enjoying the sights and sounds of the season. And he ends up spending the next 45 minutes. He goes to J.C. Penney, gets some new clothes, helps Frank get changed and clean up. He cleans up the stall. And this day that was supposed to be all about him, he ends up getting his hands literally covered in mess and dirt and gross. Friends, this is the gospel. The gospel is messy and disruptive. And this sacrificial kind of love costs us. And if we want to move away from shallow soil into this good soil, it means that our lives, our hearts and minds and bodies need to be oriented towards God. But the sacrificial kind of love that values the other, if we trust God's spirit and follow God's leading, we can be the people that God desires for us to be. We can be good soil. Uh, I would imagine that for some of you, the question you might have is, okay, Tyler, okay, I, I hear you. So what am I supposed to do this week to move into closer proximity with other people? I think that's a great question, but probably not one that I can answer for you. See, this text, like most texts, is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's not prescriptive, and that the, the story doesn't tell you, okay, this is what you should do. But it's descriptive, and it describes this way of life. It describes this posture. It describes what this new creation can look like. And so really, what we all need to be doing is asking God's Spirit to come and help us, to point out areas in our life Maybe it's ideas and frameworks. Maybe it's individuals and actual relationships that we need God's spirit to come and help us. Because I believe that if we pray that and we ask God's spirit, not only will God's spirit answer that and reveal areas of our lives, but God's spirit will give us the strength and courage to begin stepping towards that new creation life. <laughs>